Welcome back to Around the Jewish World with Tom Price. For those of you who celebrate Jewish holidays, I hope you had a good new year. And at this point in time, the appropriate greeting in Hebrew is Gemar Chatima Tova. May you be sealed for a good year because we are in the 10 days between the Jewish New Year and the Day of Atonement. This week, partially to honor the time of year we're in, I'm not going to do a typical thing about a country or a place so much as devote this episode to a concept called, in Hebrew, hashkacha pratit, which means individual supervision. Now, it's understood in this phrase that the individual supervision is done by the Almighty and extends to very detailed aspects of our lives. And this is a particularly popular concept among Hasidim, but it's a concept really that belongs to all of Jewish history and learning. And it's a concept about which you might well be skeptical, like if a kid prays to hit a home run at baseball and it happens, is that an example of hashkacha pratit or just an example of his athletic ability? Whatever the case may be, I want to go back in time to a town called Novi Sach, which is difficult to spell and has a different name in every language. The spelling in English and in Polish is N-O-W-Y space, capital S-A with a diacritical mark underneath it, C-Z. And it's pronounced Novisanch in Polish. In Yiddish, the town is called either Tsantz or Nytsantz. In German, it's Neu Sandes. And in Hungarian, it's Uy Sandets. It is a little town of very little importance, really, or apparently, on the border of what used to be Czechoslovakia. It's in southeastern Poland. You can look it up on a map. It was never a very big city, and militarily, it had almost no importance at all. So why even bring it up? It's a very good question. And the answer lies in the following story. In the early 70s, two summers in a row... I had the privilege to lead Jewish teenagers who were on their way to summer programs in Israel on trips to Eastern Europe and the former Soviet Union. And those two trips were not identical. First of all, the first year we only had one group. We were all in a charter bus. We essentially visited Poland, Czechoslovakia, and the former Soviet Union and nowhere else. We began and ended our charter bus in Brussels at the airport. We flew from Brussels to Israel and then back to Brussels. Okay. The second year was quite different. We had two groups. We crisscrossed a lot, but we used a combination of local airlines, trains, et cetera, et cetera, to travel around a different combination of countries, actually. The former Soviet Union, which was still one big USSR under Brezhnev, and Poland extensively the second time, then Hungary, and then very briefly Belgrade and Thessaloniki on a long train ride south. And we flew eventually from Athens to Israel at the end of our sort of pre-trip. Now, some of you are old enough to remember that in those days, and really until the Berlin Wall fell, travel in communist countries was strictly controlled by state-owned travel agencies. In the case of the Soviet Union, it was the infamous Inturist. 
In Poland's case, it was Orbis. In the case of Czechoslovakia, it was Chedok, etc., etc. And you had to buy every travel-related thing through these services, and you had to buy and pay for everything before you got your visa, which was also obtained through these services. So it was like one giant monopoly, and they were essentially responsible for choosing your guide, where you would be picked up by a bus, when you would be picked up by a bus, where you would stay, etc., etc. I mean, you could indicate whether you wanted five-star or three-star, but you had very little input into the whole process. So you kind of took what they gave you. And what the state-run travel agency in Poland gave us was what looked like a very nice overnight train ride from Krakow to Budapest, which was our next stop, or at least we thought it was our next stop. Here's where Hashkacha Pratit starts to creep in to this story. We left Krakow fairly late at night, like 9.30 or 10 p.m., and about two hours later, very near to midnight, we come to a screeching stop at a border station, which is called Novi Sanch, a place I had never heard of before, and I'm fairly well-traveled, but it's a small place, and it was dark because it was late at night, and these very intimidating border guards marched through the train carrying machine guns, collected our passports, asked who the leader of the group was, and when I identified myself, they gave me the stack of passports and said, this train is not moving onward until you and your group get off the train. I said, why? We were given, we were issued these train tickets by your government. Why would they put us on a train that we're not allowed to take? And the leader of the border guards who spoke pretty decent English said, sir, I'm very sorry, but this border crossing is only open to citizens of the countries on either side of it. Poland and Czechoslovakia. And we might make an exception for a citizen of another friendly socialist country like Hungary, but we certainly won't make an exception for a citizen from a capitalist country like the United States. I said, is there anything we can do, anyone we can appeal to? He said, no, it's late at night and the train simply won't move until you get off. And I give them the green light to move. So recognizing that it was sort of a hopeless situation, we get off on a platform which is visually reminiscent of the platforms on which people arrived to concentration camps in the early 40s. It was dark. It was a, like a bare cement platform, no decoration of any kind, one street lamp casting a circle of very bright light directly below it, but leaving the rest of the platform in the dark. And I have 30 kids in tow. These are teenagers and a few adults who were staffers. And we're kind of looking at each other and where do we spend the night? And if we can't cross the border here, how will we ever get to Budapest? And what happens to the rest of our trip and our reservations and our connections? And, you know, a million questions. And there could have been many, many bad outcomes. However, I chose two of the staff members who were a complementary pair. One looked very much like the Israeli stereotype of a yeshiva bocher from outside of Israel, like sort of pale, skinny, sort of slumped over. It looked fragile, was not actually, is a very distinguished and highly honored scholar at Hebrew University these days. And a guy from St. Paul, Minnesota, who was a high school football star and a classmate of mine at Harvard. This guy was like 6'6", blonde hair, blue eyes, nobody's going to mess with him, and he looks like a poster boy for Hitler Jugend. In fact, 
He's half Swedish and half Finnish, but never mind. So I tell these guys, look, go down the main street, which is right when you emerge from the train station. Stop at the first tall building you come to. That's going to be a hotel. And when you go into the hotel, demand relentlessly to see the director of the hotel. And don't leave without seeing the director. Explain to him or her our plight and ask how they can help. So to my great surprise, they came back very quickly, like within 15 minutes, and there were big smiles on their faces. And I said, so what's happening? They said, well, we found a lady who spoke really good English. And she said, darn, this is the third time this month that Orbis in Warsaw has done this to me. And it's terrible that they can't get their act together. Don't worry. I will take care of you. I will give your kids a place to sleep. I will give them breakfast in the morning. And overnight, I will charter a bus with a driver who will take you directly to Budapest. All right. There were a couple little problems with this. Namely, the bus driver didn't speak a word of Hungarian, so he had no idea how to find the hotel in Budapest. And this was before the days of cell phones and Google Maps and all that. So we eventually solved that problem by finding a hotel, me going in and asking for directions to the hotel we were supposed to be at, which we arrived at maybe 14 hours later than we should have. But we picked things up from there. Meanwhile, the most remarkable thing about this is that this woman asked, as after all the kids had been given keys and went off to their rooms, asked me if there were any special needs for this group. And I said, yes, two. Please don't serve any meat at breakfast. It will go to waste. So like dairy, hard-boiled eggs, juice, coffee, tea, whatever, but no meat of any type. And is it possible that we can have a room in which to assemble for prayers early in the morning, like 7.30 or 8. She said, oh, of course, no problem. So when we get together for morning prayers, this woman is standing sort of half hidden in curtains that go ceiling to floor, and tears are streaming down her face. So I quietly walk up to her and say, ma'am, are we upsetting you? I, After all your kindnesses to us, the last thing I would want is to upset you. She said, no, 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 you misunderstand. These are tears of joy. And I looked puzzled, and she said, During the war, when I was a child, my parents hid nine Jewish children in our house. And much later, they were honored by Yad Vashem as righteous among the nations. I have the certificate. I never thought I would see Jewish children alive in my town praying after the war. I said, oh, so there was a Jewish community here? She said, yes, and if you want, I'll show you the old synagogue. I'll show you the cemetery. I'll show you all that remains of what was once a thriving Jewish community. So it turns out that not only was this woman true to her heritage of good genes and kindness and hospitality, but she was also a very good guide for the Jewish sites of Novi Sanch. And what neither she nor I knew at the time, but I learned later, is that Novi Sanch was at one point somewhere between 25 and 30% Jewish. It was never a very big town, maybe 75,000 people at the most. But of those 75,000, maybe 20,000 were Jewish. And Novi Sanch was the birthplace of three Hasidic dynasties. One directly in Novi Sanch, the Tsantsers, and two from very nearby towns. I think one is the Bobovers and the other is the Klauswitzers. And so even if this was a poor, backward city in a neglected region of Poland, Jewishly, it was very rich. 
And this experience with this woman, considering how many really bad outcomes there could have been to this situation, was incredibly moving. And for me, maybe the best example I ever saw of the notion of Hashkacha Prati, that we were under the individualized supervision of a loving creator. So with that, I'm going to close for the week. I'm going to wish you again a Gemar Chatima Tova. If you're on Facebook, I would ask you to like, follow, and or share this page with your friends. And I hope to talk with you again soon.